Excuse me, you don't need to worry, it's just an average cough. <laughs> That's not fair. Uh, when was the last time you heard or you spoke or you thought those words? That's not fair. Uh, from the little kids fighting over the toys at kids' church uh, to... Um, Adult believers who don't get their ways at AGM. That's a joke, sorry. It's a bit, I mean, AGM's today, so I can't say that. And, um, uh, from uh, workers uh, who are unfairly dismissed uh, to customers who cannot buy a single roll of toilet papers because others are uh, mess purchasing. Uh, across a wide range of our life experiences, we often say, that's not fair. Mind you, though, we only cry unfair when it doesn't suit us. Have you ever heard a winner of a lotto saying, that's not fair, I want all the money. It's just not fair, I should divide it up with everybody else. So perhaps what we are really concerned is not fairness per se. What we are really concerned is not perfect justice but unfairness that doesn't suit us. Injustice, when it inconveniences my life or when I don't get my way. Nevertheless, there is a pervasive sense within each of our hearts that life ought to be fair. So these words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel sometimes comes to us as a shock to our system. First shall be last... And the last, first. That was Jesus' final words in last week's passage in chapter 19, verse 30. And Jesus repeats the same words again, just in a different order in today's passage. Chapter 20, verse 16, this time. So the last will be first, and the first last. Uh, So uh, uh, those bookends teach us that these stories belong together. So try to see chapter 20, verses 1 to 19 today, and remember... Uh, what Jesus said to the rich young ruler last week. In chapter 19, I want to give a brief summary, a young man who was winning in life, uh, coming first in life, we might say, uh, came to Jesus to find eternal life. And we might have thought, yeah, if anyone would find eternal life, he should get it. He's winning in life, he's intelligent, he's young, he's youthful, he's fit, he's got health, wealth, and even morality. Yet in the end, he went away sorrowful without finding eternal life because, uh, the Bible only gives really one reason here in this passage, Jesus said, you must stop pursuing coming first in life. You know, throw away your riches. Uh, Give it all away, come follow me. Become poor and follow me. He must give up, in other words, pursuing self-importance. The life of self-indulgence or self-ruling life. Uh, That's what often comes with coming first in life, isn't it? If you are wealthy, if you are successful, you start to think that you're someone. And you are. Everybody treats you like that. And you can live life the way you want to live. Because with money, you can buy everything. Or most things, anyways. But Jesus says you must give that up if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, it's it's a totally different system of world economy. First comes last, 
and last comes first. But I think that raises a question for us. Is that fair? Is that fair? First coming last? Last coming first? Uh, Just imagine working ever so hard in life, uh, like many of us here, many of you are and have been very successful in life, doing your very best at what you do, uh, get to the very top of your profession or your life's vocation, whatever that may be, only to find out that in the kingdom of heaven, my achievements will not give me any advantage over those losers that I thought in life. Uh, That from God's perspective, I who strive to come first in life will in fact be last. And in the kingdom of heaven, possibly, those whom I thought were far below me may be exalted over me. Those who are far inferior in power, status and success will in fact be first. If the kingdom of heaven is like that, don't you want to say, that's not fair? Uh, Especially if you're winning in life. Don't you want to say to God, God, that's not right. You need to treat me better. I deserve better. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Well, I think Jesus takes up just that sort of issue and questions lurking around in today's passage by telling a story. He doesn't answer these questions in a philosophical, um, direct Q&A manner. Jesus tells a story. So read this story with me again. Chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like this, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire man to work in the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Uh, First, the setting is an ordinary working scene in an agricultural society, uh, no, the normal working day back in the days uh, was 12 hours. We've got it fairly easy these days, isn't it? Eight hours. I, I thought we were working very hard and busy, but normal working hours back then was 12 hours. The master of a house owned a vineyard, which had some work to be done, whether that is you know, digging or planting, picking or harvesting. We're not told. Well, he, he needed some workers. So as it was his custom, he went down to the market early in the morning, probably around 6 a.m., where the day laborers could be hired. And after agreeing a remuneration package, which was a denarius for the day's work, he sent him into his vineyard. Uh, Nothing out of the ordinary so far, just, you know, once upon a time, that sort of story. But continue to read on, verse 3. About the third hour, that's about 9 a.m. now, he went out and saw others standing in the market doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. Again, we're not told why the owner went back to the market. But for some reason, he did. And he found some unemployed unemployed workers in the market, so he sent them into his vineyard also. It's a little bit odd now. The story is just getting a little bit more tension. Uh, Verse 5. He went out again about the 6th hour, now that's 12 p.m., and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, that's now 5 p.m., one hour before the work finishes, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. 
Now the story starts to feel really strange. Now, why did the master of a house keep going back to the marketplace to hire more laborers? Uh, was there much more work to be done than it was first anticipated? Uh, were there not enough workers available in the morning? So he, had to, you know, he actually wanted to hire 12, 20 workers, but there were only three, so he kept, keeps on going back to find more workers. Is that what's going on? Uh, or, or were the first set of laborers incompetent? So you, you know, he hired them, but they didn't know anything about the you know, vineyard work, so he had to go and find uh, more specialized. We're not told, but it's quite strange, isn't it? He goes back to the market right up to the moment of the day's close. 11th hour, 5 p.m., an hour before the day's work would be finished, and he sends workers to the vineyard. Now, where is this strange employment system leading us to? Look at verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. Uh, It's time to settle the payments for the workers, and strangely enough, the owner of the vineyard says, call the laborers and pay them their wages. But this time he says, last ones first. Do you sense anything strange? Verse 9, and th- when those uh, uh, hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. You know, the ones who came right at the end, they just probably got into the vineyard and he got called back straight away. And they were paid full day's work. Do you find that surprising? We get so used to Bible story that we don't find it surprising. I bet they were surprised. I I bet those workers who went to the vineyard at 5 p.m. didn't expect to receive full denarius work. Now, what we hear next probably sounds most logical and reasonable to our ears in this otherwise very strange story. That what we hear next in verse 10 is the most reasonable and logical thing that we hear in this whole passage for our capitalistic years. Now, when those who hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Of course they did. Wouldn't you? If you're the worker who started working at 6 a.m., isn't that logical, reasonable, and fair? First should be first. Last should be last. That's how the pecking order works in our world economy, in the kingdoms of the earth, isn't it? But the story continues. Each of them also received a denarius, same amount as those who came and worked only an hour. Now, how should we feel about this payment system? Now, those who came first were not a big fan of it, to say the least. Verse 11 when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired the last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. We've got to be a little bit sympathetic about these workers. Imagine you are one of those workers who has been working from the beginning of the day. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And I don't know too much about vineyard work and I'm horrible at gardening, but for those of you who know the gardening work, vineyard work, it's not a joke, is it? Covered in sweat, dust, hard work. Your hands all dirty and sore. The day finally ends and you see the master paying wages and suddenly he calls those who just got to the work first, pays them full denarius. 
And you're expecting, wow, when it's my turn, how much will he honor me? But he only gives you the same amount. How do you feel about this? It's, 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 a, it's a kind of like a, um, you know, when you get into the work project. And there are always those free riders who don't do any work, who don't contribute. But when the time to uh, present work, um, the, the work project, they get all the credit from your boss. It's, it's sort of that sort of scenario, isn't it? Wouldn't you want to scream in that situation, that's not fair. First should not be last, and last should not be first. If that's what kingdom of heaven is like, I'm not sure whether I very much would like kingdom of heaven at all. Well, listen to what Jesus says. Verse 13. But Jesus answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Uh, First, notice the gentleness in which the master replies. Uh, Notice the words that he speaks. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. The master, by now it's very clear that he is the master of the kingdom of heaven, God himself, addresses the grumblers as friend with affection and gentleness. Then he patiently endures their grumbling and kindly explains what they are missing in their thinking. And I wonder how you would have responded if you were the master of the vineyard. If I was in that situation, I would have probably said, hey, hey, who do you think you are? I'm the master here. I get to do what I want to do. This is my rule. Get, Get your money and get out of my vineyard. With that kind of attitude, you won't be working for me anymore. You've got to know who's the boss. That, that's the kind of thing that I would, have, I would have responded. But the master of this vineyard doesn't do that. He calls him friend. Just trying to think about I'm, I'm doing you no wrong. What gentleness and tenderness. And this is the way God extends and shows his kindness to us in each of our lives. You know, God does not strike us immediately every time we grumble and rebel against him, does he? Every time we forget him. Every time we give him lip service. Every time we prefer to do it our own ways and deceive God or despise our neighbors. If God did that, none of us would be standing or sitting here today. God is a patient father who forbears his children's mistakes. And I want to say to you, if you are living today rejecting God and ignoring his ways, and you feel like, yeah, by and large, you know, life is pretty seamless. I'm living a pretty happy life. Well, it's not because God is unaware or unable to deal with your rebellion or ignorance of him. But remember that it's because God is patient towards you. It's because he's gentle, forbearing your grumbling. Yet the Bible does warn us to not presume on the riches of his kindness. His kindness and gentleness is meant to lead us to repentance. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. But come back to the story. The master explains what the first workers have missed. Verse 13, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Uh, Actually... I haven't done anything wrong. I have been fair. You know when we met in the, early in the morning at the marketplace? We said, you will work for me a day and I'll pay you a denarius. 
You see, the first workers agreed to work for a denarius. When the master came and found them in the morning, they were glad to be employed. They were happy with the arrangement. And at the end of the day, the master fulfilled his promise. Their problem was not that master was unfair to them. That's not the issue, isn't it? Rather, the master was scandalously generous with those whom they thought didn't deserve it. The first workers didn't mind receiving benefits from the master, but they did not want the master to extend his generosity to others. Those who came first quickly forgot the grace of the master they themselves received, and forgetting the master's generosity, they became self-entitled. They thought, I deserve this. I did this. And they sought to exalt themselves over those who came late. And the master concludes in verse 14, Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who, has, who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? God is generous. That's one of the main points of the passage, isn't it? It comes right at the end. And because that is God's character, the kingdom of heaven is kingdom of grace. Grace is what God is like and that is what Christianity is about. As one Christian hymn writer wrote, it is about amazing grace. God is generous with people who do not deserve it. And listen, that is its wonder, but also a great difficulty. Great difficulty for self-entitled, self-righteous people who think they deserve God's kindness. And do not recognize God's grace upon their lives. That's why rich people, Jesus said in verse 19, the rich young ruler cannot enter into the kingdom. It's more difficult for a rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven than a camel to enter into the eye of a needle. Because self-entitled, those who think they are self-important and those who think that they deserve it, cannot come into kingdom of grace. Cannot come to God and say, nothing in my hand I bring. There's nothing in me or nothing that I've achieved that deserve your recognition, but I simply fall down at your feet and ask for mercy. Very difficult for those who are in love of themselves to do that. When it comes to our relationship with God, however, Jesus reminds us through this story that all of us are beggars. No one deserves to enter into the kingdom of heaven. No one. All of us have lived our lives in grumbling disobedience against God, the giver of life, the ruler of life. Instead of recognizing God as the rightful master of our lives, we have all lived in our own ways, in whatever fashion, for however long, lived as if we are the master of our own vineyard, our own lives. If we want fairness, all of us, deserve God's judgment. Yet the story of the Bible is that God does not treat us as we deserve. Rather, he comes and gives us grace in Jesus Christ. And that is what separates Christianity from all other human religions. Most religions involve some form of human doing in order to get closer to God, 
to find merit from God. At the heart of Christianity stands amazing grace. God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Uh, the two religion, uh, the, 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 uh, religious festivals that we commemorate as our, at the heart of our Christianity, at the heart of our religion, uh, Christmas and Easter. Christmas is not about man finding God, but God finding us, God coming to us. Easter is not about man doing something for God, but God doing for us, laying down his own life for the forgiveness of our sins. Atheists are right in t- t- to a certain extent that we cannot find God. Isn't that right? I, th- I think atheists are right. We should give them their due credit for that. Human beings cannot find out about God through their own intelligence. But Christianity is not about us finding our way to God or us way- working out God through our own intelligence. It's rather about God coming to rescue and find the lost sheep. That has gone astray. God coming to us in patience, in gentleness, to reveal the kingdom of heaven, to give us grace in the person of Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14 Look at the story again and ask these questions. Who takes the initiative? Uh, who calls the workers? God, the master, isn't it? He? he goes out five times. Goes out even for those whom no one else thinks are worth going for. Those who are unemployed. No one wanted. That, that's why they're there. No one wants to hire them into their vineyards. And that sums up God's history with humanity in a nutshell. God coming in grace. Through Redeemer Moses, God remembering them and having compassion upon them. God sending the Messiah David to, to fight against Goliath and rescue and protect his people. God sending prophet after prophet to reveal his character. And God finally coming in the flesh of his own son to rescue the lost sheep. Who pays them more than they deserve? who patiently endures with their grumbling, calls them friend and corrects their evil heart. The God of grace and goodness. Very interestingly, I don't know whether you thought about this as um, Tom was reading the passage for us, we don't hear about the last workers in this passage, do we? I I wish we did. I was reading it, oh, you know, why don't we hear about what the last workers say? But we don't hear, but... I think it's not provided because we can readily imagine what they would have said. You know, it doesn't need to be said. I reckon their response would have been like, wow, what generosity. I was unemployed. No one wanted me. No one thought I was worth going for. I was unimportant, irrelevant, helpless on my own. Yet the master of the vineyard came for me. Not only that, when it was time for payment, he would call me out first. Not only that, he would pay me the full wage. And he would honor me. He would extend his kindness to me and call me and address me as his friend. You can only imagine how thankful they would have been. I reckon they would have sang Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me. Uh, you get the point, don't you, by now, to, towards the end of the story. Kingdom of heaven is like this. You, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven with self-righteous entitlement pointing at your own achievements. You can only receive it with selfless humility and dependence on God's grace, his character, what he has done in Jesus Christ. And that is what we heard right at the beginning of uh, last week's passage, Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. You know, the children were brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples would rebuke the people. You know, do you know how important Jesus is? You know, everyone in this country wants to see him. Everyone's bringing sick people all the way because only Jesus has a solution. All these important people are coming to ask Jesus question about how to interpret the law. And you think Jesus has time for children? Jesus says, no, he does. Only those who are like children can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of you may have been questioning God's fairness to you in life. Perhaps you feel that God has been unfair to you in giving so much hardship in your life. Um, Maybe it's the cancer you or your family members are suffering through. Or maybe it's the broken family that has hurt you deeply. Uh, Now, I don't want to minimize your suffering in any way and what you are going through. Life on this side of the new creation can be lonely and terrifying. But please don't fall for the lies of Satan that whispers in your ears saying God doesn't care. Or God doesn't love you. He does. And he is unchangingly committed to bring you into the kingdom of heaven where his grace, kindness, goodness will be everlasting. How do you believe that? How do you know that? Look at what Jesus says and look what he does for you in in the verses following from verse 17. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. We can believe that because Jesus did not remain in heaven enjoying his trouble-free, affliction-free life for himself. Jesus could have done that, and if he did that, it would have been fair. Is that right? If the Son of God decided to remain in heaven, enjoy his glory, and live an affliction-free, trouble-free life, that would be fair. But instead, he came into our world as a humble child, helpless child, pursued for his life from the moment of his birth. Then he went to Jerusalem, Not to take over power, but to be delivered over, to be mocked, to be flogged, to be crucified, and to rise again on the third day. Why did he do that? Well, because he was looking for you. Why did he do that? To be gracious to you, to solve your biggest trouble in life, which is forgiveness of your sins before 
the holy God and to bring you into the kingdom of heaven. And because of what he has done, no matter who you are and what you have done, there is grace for you to receive the kingdom of heaven. Is that fair? No, it's grace. Do you deserve it? Is that because you're smart, beautiful, and inherently desirable? No, nothing to do with you and whatever you can offer before God, but everything to do with his kindness and goodness. Now, here is something to consider for those of us who are still bent on pursuing, coming first, and loving our own achievements and importance in life. Think about Jesus just one last time. Just imagine what Jesus could have accomplished in his life if he wanted to come first. You know, Jesus was the greatest person the world has ever seen. You know, he was the brightest. The teaching of Jesus had shaped and changed the world more than any other philosophers in human history. Look at the world map today. Jesus' teaching, which was heard by a small band of Palestine fishermen, have spread all over the, over the earth and have changed the lives of billions of people. The crowds followed Jesus everywhere he went. Jesus was the strongest man the world has ever seen. He could heal the sick. He could raise the paralytics. He could feed the thousands of people. He could even raise the dead. Imagine what Jesus could have accomplished if he lived a life pursuing his own importance and his own success, his own glory, he could have achieved anything. And yet, with all that power, intelligence, popularity, and opportunity behind him, at the age of 33 years old, with all the crowds wanting to make him king, he went to the cross. to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, to be mocked, to be flogged, to be killed. Why did he do that? To give you grace. For your forgiveness of sins. For your gift of eternal life. He gives you better than coming first in life. He gives you more than fairness. He gives you his own life. And his grace is sufficient for every life in every season. Amazing grace. May we live in his grace. Amen.